0: to the Hedge Witch's Almanac. Firstly, I would like to thank so many of you for getting in touch after my first solo episode. I'm truly grateful for all your kind words of support and so pleased to know that you've enjoyed the new feel and format. For the time being, while I feel my way around things, I'm going to be putting out episodes fortnightly or thereabouts Previously, episodes have been put out monthly, and after that we tried weekly, so why not try this too, and hopefully we'll discover that this is the happy medium. We find ourselves now just a few short days after Ostara, and I hope that you all celebrated in ways that made you happy. There are so many signs of spring everywhere, more and more colour appearing in the blossom and in flowers, and there are definitely plenty of trees with lovely fresh new leaves starting to grow. I've begun to invest some time in my long neglected allotments you'll have heard me reference it before it's repeatedly dropped down my priority list with all the other things that need to be done and monthly between April and October while the allotment committee inspect the plots and make sure that they're being looked after properly and made good use of particularly in light of high demand for plots I have historically Frantically rushed around at the last minute to try to ensure it is tidy enough to avoid a warning letter. I want this year to be different, and as we've spoken about previously, the witch's calendar provides many opportunities for new starts, and I have taken Ostara and the powerful new moon that we had as a real chance for a fresh start. The one thing that has helped me, and I don't know if this, this is something that you've noticed where you are is that I feel we have been experiencing traditional March weather. And I think this is something that hasn't happened for the last at least two years, possibly three. We all know the sayings about March winds bringing April showers and May flowers. But after a really dry winter, and particularly February, I was worried that the dry weather would make growing anything difficult this year. But the spring showers with flashes of sunshine in between feel full of optimism. And so do I. And I'll hopefully be posting pictures of a really healthy looking allotment soon. We'll see. (laughs) This year, I've got more of a focus than before on flowers in a bid not just to attract more insects, but also to provide more food for them. I'm also going to add to the mugwort, rosemary, salad bonnet and other perennial herbs and crops with other witchy and fairly self-managing plants to try to give myself a helping hand in keeping it both tidy and productive. And if anyone's got any tips for me or suggestions of plants and herbs I might not be growing yet, I'm always grateful to receive them. So for today, we are still on the element of air. And while I think the winds of change have certainly been blowing recently, and a large part of me feels as though we're all on the precipice of something, and I found myself wondering if anyone else feels the same, we're going to be turning our focus inwards. I thought I would take a look at the magic of using air within our bodies, and I have one major source of inspiration for this episode. I recently indulged a long-held wish to be better at getting swiftly into the sea or any other water in which I wanted to swim. As a child, I was a swimmer. Not a great one, but a swimmer. And when I attended training or a gala, I had to get in, no matter what the pool temperature. But at some point after quitting competitive swimming, this ability just abandoned me. Even on warm, sunny beaches, it could take me up to half an hour to actually get into the water despite being so keen to swim. Now, a little caveat, I have managed a couple of mile-long open water swim events, but these are almost 15 years ago now, so I don't really think I can rest on my laurels there. Since giving birth to my daughters and being treated for cancer, I think I've allowed myself to become a little bit precious and if I'm honest, a bit pathetic. However, I met a lovely and inspiring woman in Devon last summer. She strode straight into the sea and started swimming whilst I procrastinated paddling in the shallows. When I quizzed her about how she managed to make it look so easy, she told me she'd started wild swimming in February 2022. She lives in Edinburgh and after starting that, she no longer thinks about it. She just gets straight in. Well, I want to be just like her when I grow up. I procrastinated a little more, well for seven or eight months really, during which time I had more medical issues, some of which affected my ability to regulate my own temperature, so I excused myself on that front from even thinking about getting in the water. But finally in early March, on a snowy day, I decided to venture to Stony Cove, an inland dive and open water swimming centre not too far from where I live. My friend Charlotte, who illustrates the zins for children that I produce, and I'm still producing, has been open water swimming for around a year. She gave me the only advice I needed to hear as I braced myself to get into the water. Breathe, just breathe, slowly and deeply. And I did. Even as the icy water felt as though it were crushing my ribs and my lungs beneath them, I tried to focus on my breath. Before long, inevitably, the cold defeated me. I lasted less than 10 minutes on that first occasion, but it was enough for me to know that I had been able to get in, albeit supported by a wetsuit and not bearing more skin than my hands, feet and face, unlike some of the crazy or experienced people who went in in swimming costumes. I can't express how much it was down to focusing on my breath that allowed me to do this cold water causes everything to contract. It can cause panic. And I think perhaps forcing slow deep breaths when it is the last thing you want to do is the only way to get your body to work with and not against the extreme temperature shift. But this episode isn't going to be all about crazy people that swimming freezing water in March. It just gave me the inspiration I needed to consider how the element of air is useful within our bodies aside from the obvious of keeping us alive. It's not a new concept to me, and I'm sure it won't be to you, but it is something that I find I need to frequently remind myself of the benefits of focusing on my breath. It's funny, really, because when I used it so often in my work as a hypnotherapist, you'd think it would come to mind more easily. And what sessions of relaxation or meditation don't start with, for example, the therapist inviting you to take three deep breaths? Whether you go for a facial or a massage, or a therapy session, or even an exercise class such as yoga, breath is one of the first things on which we're asked to focus, and its magic is instant. By slowing our breathing, we can slow our body rhythms. Even our heartbeat begins to slow, and of course, slower breathing can slow our minds. We can focus on our breathing to direct air into particular places in our bodies, And to create particular benefits. The impact on the mind is fascinating. When we have monkey mind, when our brains don't like to let go of certain thoughts or take us on a journey from thought to thought where we rapidly transition from thinking about one thing to arriving at another seemingly unrelated thing, focus on our breath can allow us to remove distracting thoughts from our minds and give us space. And without space, there's no place for inspiration or to receive information other than that which we receive with our senses. It's here, with this in mind, that I'd like to move to talking about our pineal glands or pineal glands, depending on how you like to pronounce it. I'm assured from reliable sources that both are correct. If you're unfamiliar with this tiny part of the human brain... It is a gland, slightly bigger than a grain of rice, which is located very centrally, where the two halves of the brain meet. It sits in an area in which many sensory functions are regulated and it's situated between the worlds of the left brain and the right brain. And we all know that as hedge witches, we love something that dwells in that place between one thing and another. It's also known as the pineal body The epiphysis cerebra, or simply the epiphysis, is also known as the third eye, or even the witch's eye. So for those of you who are not familiar with this, perhaps this will start to give you some ideas as to why it's a very worthy topic for this podcast. Whilst being pinecone in shape, which is what gives this gland its name, the name pineal meaning pinecone shaped. It's also worth noting that if you were to slice down the centre of the brain, slicing the pineal gland in two, the gland and surrounding tissues in which it's located bears a visual resemblance to the ancient Egyptian symbol, the eye of Horus, which has connotations of protection, health and restoration. Scientifically, the function of the pineal gland is to receive information about the levels of light to which we are exposed at any given time. Through this, the pineal gland determines whether we should be asleep or awake, and it regulates our sleep-wake cycle by producing either melatonin, which sends us to sleep, or serotonin, which helps us to feel alert. Without it, animals, including humans, couldn't adapt to the seasonal changes which occur, And in this way our pineal glands function as an endocrinal clock controlling our circadian or daily rhythms and also a calendar you might like to consider greeting the dawn and the dusk if this fits with your day and routine all year round if you're able although i realize that's quite a restrictive practice like the birds who sing and meet the day and before settling in for the night This may begin you down your own path of a working relationship with your pineal gland. What would be the benefit of doing so? Why would you want to understand and work with this gland, beyond developing a close understanding of all aspects of your body? And how did it earn the name, The Witch's Eye? The French philosopher René Descartes described the pineal gland as the meeting place of the physical and spiritual world. He said... The body and spirit not only meet there but each affects the other and the repercussions extend in both directions if you buy into this position you can easily see the links to hedge witchery that there must exist within us all a bridge between the ordinary realms and otherworldly realms the witch's eye sees each from its vantage point in the middle and the accomplished witch will view whichever she or he so chooses from the vantage point in the centre of all things that is occupied by the pineal gland. We can explore other aspects of this idea. Some view that the pineal gland provides a meeting place between science and ancient wisdom. Where one world meets another, you will find the hedge witch. It's also very relevant to look at this gland at this time of year because of its association with light, Obviously light is growing at the moment, we've moved past the equinox and it's through receiving light or messages triggered by light that the pineal gland knows whether to produce serotonin or melatonin. I have heard it said that the pineal gland itself reacts to light and must therefore be mystical because of its location in the centre of the brain. How can it possibly sense light? But scientifically this isn't really correct there are more physiological processes going on here than simply the light reaching the pineal gland. Specifically, and briefly, the light is received through the eye and travels through the optic nerve to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, through to the sympathetic nervous system, which then triggers the pineal gland to produce whichever response is most appropriate, should the body be alert or should it be asleep. As I've said before in relation to it being both a clock and a calendar, the pineal gland acclimatises us in space and time and triggers the appropriate brainwaves for sleep or wake, whichever state we require. We know from previous discussions of shamanic practice how important brainwaves are in accessing alternate states of consciousness. Understanding the pineal gland and how to use it therefore provides us With a key to begin to unlock our innate abilities to look beyond this ordinary reality and perhaps receive enlightenment and profoundly impactive experiences it is serotonin the daytime chemical which produces beta waves essential for our ability to pay attention to things which is obviously important but melatonin produces alpha waves theta waves and delta waves for most people the levels of melatonin are at their highest during the period between 1am and 4am. Should you wish to work in altered states of consciousness, one suggestion could be to rouse yourself during these hours, and combined with other techniques such as drumming, you may find you're able to access your desired state more readily than during your waking hours. Now, much of this information I have researched, using a really interesting series on the Gaia streaming platform, called Rewired with Dr Joe Dispenza. If you have access to Gaia or if it's something you're considering, I highly recommend it. I think he's an utterly fascinating man who really does provide a bridge between science and witchcraft in my opinion, although it might not be that he would necessarily view it this way, I couldn't say. But for me, having not really ever been convinced of the need for scientific proof for things, for me to believe in them, I am finding increasingly that the space where science and spirituality meet is actually where I find a great deal of truth and learning. There are other things that come into play here. The levels of melatonin produced by a person is not only influenced by messages of light reaching the pineal gland. There's also an inverse relationship with stress. The more stress you experience, the lower your levels of melatonin will be. Now, this next section gets a little scientific I know we've already covered some science, but a little more scientific, perhaps. So bear with me while we take a scientific tour of the human body in relation to melatonin and the pineal gland, as informed by Dr. Dispenser's amazing research. I was fascinated to learn that there are tiny crystals hidden away in the pineal gland, which are a result of biomineralization so minerals created by our very own bodies. And when compressed, these tiny crystals can both generate and receive electrical charges. Electrical charges travelling through the human body travel within the cerebrospinal fluid that runs up and down your spinal column and around your brain. Much of this programme was fascinating to me. I probably watched it open-mouthed throughout. But it takes approximately 12 hours for the same drop of fluid to complete one circuit of the system. So if you were able to mark one tiny drop of it and track it, you'd find it passes by the pineal gland twice a day. Why is this important? Well, it is a compression of the tiny crystals that activates the element of the pineal gland that operates as a receiver or transmitter of electrical signals. And using the knowledge of the movement of the spinal fluid enables us to increase this compression and therefore the electrical activity. When the spinal fluid moves down the spinal column, it's assisted by gravity. When, however, it needs to move up towards the brain, it requires assistance from our bodies. Now completely unknown to me, when we inhale, the tiny little tailbone at the base of our spines moves backwards. And at the same time, the plates of the skull separate slightly. When we exhale, the tailbone draws in and the plates of the skull draw back together. This provides a contraction which pushes the fluid up the spinal column. It also provides compression to those tiny pineal gland crystals. When we combine intention, focus on the pineal gland, with a particular breathing technique, our pineal gland may become able to receive and emit those electrical signals, allowing us to receive images and messages we're not able to perceive with our ordinary senses. And so if you work with spirit guides, if you work with deities, nature spirits, divination or shamanic journeying, many other things besides, you could be aided by the results of simple breathwork and intention. If this simply brought amazing revelations or incredible visions, I'd have to say it's worth giving a go just for that. However, there's also health benefits too from activating your pineal gland. In summary, because I feel we've spoken enough about science already, more of our energy by the time we reach 35 is stored in our body than in our minds. And this is not a healthy way to be. We become more matter and less energy and more fixed in the ordinary realms and more likely to experience health issues. Rather than drawing our energy from a diminishing energy field that surrounds us and drawing it into ourselves and becoming denser, we might seek to achieve a little more balance or perhaps even tip the scales to become more energy and less matter. There are numerous amazing consequences of this such as the production of antioxidants which as Dr Dispenser describes are anti-cancer, antimicrobial, anti-aging, anti all the things that you wouldn't like to happen to you or lots of important ones anyway. They act as something that can suppress overthinking, and allow you to be really present in the moment. Ultimately, though, the appeal of receiving profound and lucid inner visions is what pulls me in. The theory is, and please, Dr. Dispenser, on the very slight off chance that you're listening, please correct me if my paraphr- paraphrasing has glaring holes or issues, um, because I think you're amazing and I do not wish to misquote you. The theory is that the key to pulling the energy back out of the body and into the mind is the breath. And it's a very simple activity and therefore one I thought would be brilliant to talk about on the podcast because not only can we all give it a go, but I can also imagine you all listening and trying it as I speak. So the first thing that you need to be able to do is to focus on the location of the pineal gland. We've already described that it sits in between both halves of the brain, or sides of the brain if you prefer, and it also sits about halfway between the back of the throat and the back of the head. So fix your attention there. And as you start to take slow, deep breaths, on the inhale, you contract all the muscles you would use to stop you going to the toilet All of those you use for your Kegel exercises, pelvic floor exercises, whatever you call them. And for the men listeners, it's the nuts before guts quote. Pull those in. Contract all the muscles of your lower abdomen as you take that long, deep breath in. And hold as you continue to visualise your pineal gland. Hold before exhaling slowly and letting go of all of those muscles and beginning again. You can repeat this for as long as you're able to hold your focus for as long as you feel is appropriate or advantageous to you and the energy generated will recharge your electrical field bring your energy up from your body and into your mind and will also allow your pineal gland to act as a receiver of charges and imagery something called the thalamic gate at the base of the brainstem, which is usually closed opens as a result of the rising energy and gamma waves can be generated which can put the person engaged in this practice into a state of superconsciousness or super awareness which amongst other things can result in a completely blissful and ecstatic feeling. Well how often does that happen? In terms of the visions that you may receive imagine that your pineal gland is a television aerial receiving signals and transducing them into images your mind can interpret. You're tuning into the quantum field which exists beyond the speed of light and this brings your brain out of its analytical state and allows you to truly exist in the moment. This increases the coherence of the brain and allows it to identify patterns it may not have seen otherwise. Perhaps it's here you'll make sense of something you were not otherwise able to make sense of. Perhaps you'll find answers to questions you've held for some time, perhaps even answers you did not know you were seeking. It seems to me that for a simple practice based around the element of air, the consequences of this could be truly inspiring and possibly even life-changing. It's something I've brought into my practice and will continue to explore, and I would love to hear if this is something you do or whether you will begin this practice after listening to this podcast. I have thought about it. I'm not going to apologize for all the science. There really didn't seem to be another way to explain it. However, I would definitely recommend further research on it if I've lost you on the way and I will apologize for any terrible job I've done of explaining it all. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to hearing all about your experiences. I'll be back in another two weeks as we look at the transition between the season of air and the season of fire with Beltane on the horizon. I hope at least some of you are starting to feel a tingly warmth beginning somewhere inside.